I never thought I'd start a show this way, but I had a run-in with the police. I want to tell you that story and some lessons we can all take from it. We'll do that and a whole lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. And when I say the police, I mean exactly one ill-tempered police officer here in Easley, South Carolina. It's a fun-ish story, I guess, but more importantly, we can take some lessons out of it. I will share those with you in just a minute. My name is Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to the show wherever you find podcasts and on his radio talk. Among many other things, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 10.30 on Sunday mornings in Greenville. You can find us at beachwood.cc. Would love to see you there on any given Sunday morning. I was running an errand on Friday evening. I was actually going to pick up my my girlfriend's dogs so they could stay with me that night. I had me and five dogs. I was a single dog dad of five. I did a decent job, I would say. But I went into a quick trip uh, here, a QT here in Easley. And as I do, this is my normal operating procedure because you can get in and out of quick trip so quickly. I leave the keys in the car. I leave the ignition on. I just leave the car running. I run in and get what I need and I walk back out. On this particular trip, I came out of the door at that convenience store gas station and there was an officer shining a flashlight into my car. And so I said, hey, officer, that's, that's mine. And I thought the interaction would be over at that point. He would say, okay, and walk by me. That is not the end of the interaction. The guy, probably my age, turned around with anger in his eyes and said, you want to tell me why you left this on? Like, out of the gates with aggression. And I was in a hurry, and I, don't have the, I didn't really have the energy to be the jack, uh, to be the uh, jerk that I would be. <clears throat> And so I, I just told him, I do it all the time. I just running out, running out of the gas station because I knew I'd be fast. That's why. And he launches into was probably a 45 to 60 second little lecture about things, saying things like, I don't remember all of it. This is how cars get stolen. And people call us to rec- recover their cars. You know, I could write you a citation right now. And the entire time he's doing it, I'm smirking because I am a jerk. And I, I actually remember laughing at two points, just going, okay, okay, I got you. And then finally, he stops talking. And I said, okay, I got you. Are we good? And he said, what did he say to finish? Oh, yeah, he just finished with, just don't do that anymore. I said, okay, gotcha. And walked by. And he walked inside. So it's over. I'll tell you that story to get to this point. There, have been, there has been the last half decade or so qu- quite a few complaints about officers. They've become a fairly demonized group. Law enforcement in general has gotten a lot of criticism. I mean, if you remember back in 2000, and I think it was 15, there were four or five cops shot in Dallas, killed in Dallas. I shouldn't say shot. They were killed. And that came after a period of time where the police were being denigrated and uh, that their place in society was being diminished. And it's important to recognize A lot of that criticism was well-earned. Consider the story I just told you. Criticism of police is sometimes well-earned. Sometimes they get exactly what they deserve. I've talked about it many times on the show. We have a policing problem in general. We underqualify. We undertrain. We seem to have an ethic 
a long time ago in police that we don't we do not have a protect and serve ethic. We militarize them so that when that guy looked at me, a citizen, an agent of the government, about the same age, I'm going to guess I'm a little smarter. I'm going to guess I've done a little more. He talked to me like a child, like a drill sergeant to a little, I don't know what you call those people, an, an enlisted man. We, we've, ha- we've got a cultural problem amongst the police. It's, there's some well-earned criticism. Now, here I've, I've noticed lately, we, we have the highest rate of police homicide than, than we've had, I think, ever, like the, the number of police being killed or shot. And so you're starting to get some sympathy again for folks that do a very hard job. So I say a lot of critical things there at the top, but I also recognize this. That's a hard job. You who have family who are in law enforcement, or you're listening to me and you're in law enforcement, you got a lot of respect for me. I'm telling you, I don't want your job. I think it's really, really hard. But a really, really hard job does not give license to be really, really bad at it. I, I think about the, the lesson for us out of, the, out of that interaction. It, con- consider the inverse of what could have happened. I walk out and say, hey, officer, that's my car. And he turns around and he says, oh, okay, hey, just, just, just a fair warning for you. We have found this is, a, this is one of the major ways cars get stolen. It's just a word of warning to you. Don't want it to happen to you. We don't want to have to chase it down. So just so you know, one of the ways cars get stolen is that they, people leave them on when they walk into convenience stores. That is trying to protect my property and serve my interests. And then I have... A, a positive attitude towards police because what a what a good adult interaction. I'm a grown man. Out of out of good decency, I don't talk to other grown men like they're plebes. I tend to talk to other people with a great deal of respect. And when I get that from the police, I'm going to have a good feeling about police. I'm going to trust them more. I'm going to say nice things about them to other people. When other people are denigrating police, I might bring up this story about how this this very well uh, well-tempered officer had this great interaction with him, and you start to build trust. I, I, when I was driving away, some guy waved me down to talk about it. He's like, that was crazy, wasn't it? And so here we are in Easley, and you had however many people witnessed the interaction. All of them walked away thinking, what an idiot that cop is. I hope I never have to interact with him. If ever I'm in a situation that I need a cop, I sure hope it's not him. That guy's a moron. He's He's utterly incapable of even interacting with another human. I don't want that guy's help. And, and while officers would do well to get these two words, just get these two words in your mind. Calm down. Just come at conversations not already with your temper flaring. Come, I keep saying it this way because it's important. Come like an adult. I say this often. Children lose their tempers. That's something that I, I have a lot of patience for. Children have trouble explaining their emotions. They don't know how to say to you, I am angry, I am upset, I have these feelings, and so they tend to lose their tempers or scream and cry because they don't know how to articulate their feelings. All right, so grow up and stop losing your temper. It's a sign of childishness. And what we find too often with officers is they come in hot. They're coming in ready for war. Okay, well, if you're that person, you need to not be a cop. You need a diff- First, you need some therapy. You need the Lord. 
and then you need to get a different job because you're not qualified to interact with the public. Now, how might we benefit from that, that, that same lesson? Well, sometimes we do it to each other. We come into conversations already riled up or already hot about something. I have found in my own interpersonal relationships, I respond so much better when someone comes with some questions and not with accusations, and also not questions disguised as, excuse me, accusations disguised as questions. Just interact with each other, again, like adults. We could say, hey, I perceive you're thinking or planning A or B. Are you thinking or planning A and B? Instead of, you're thinking and planning A and B. Hey, calm down and let's just talk. Whatever trauma you've been through, whatever background you've got, okay, get that solved so that we can communicate with each other. And so uh, from that police interaction, we can learn that we would all do better interacting with each other if we wouldn't come at each other with our tempers high, with skepticism. It's one of the most poisonous parts of interpersonal relationships. When you're naturally skeptical of each other, because it's, it betrays a foundation of a lack of trust. There's a sitcom I watched a couple years ago on one of the many platforms, I think it was Hulu, called How I Met Your Mother. It's a, it's a great show. I, I put it in the top 10 of you know, co- uh, sitcom comedies ever. There is one portion uh, of the show where one of the main characters, Barney, is dating a girl, and they are going towards marriage. And I think there's a, they're at some lawyer's office, I think. They're about to sign a prenup. And it becomes very clear in a comical way that they are both super untrusting of each other. And there's a, a very highly affecting moment where she says to him, you don't trust me, do you? And he says, no. And he says back to her, you don't trust me. And she says, no. And that's the end. That's the end of the relationship. Whether that be cop to citizen, you to your spouse, you to friends, building the foundation on skepticism of each other just leads to really cantankerous, unhappy situations. So, I had an interaction with a cop. If you're out there in, a, uh, in law enforcement or you have family in law enforcement, I'd ask you to tell them this story and, and let them know. You'll do a lot better. You'll do a lot better. If you will bring your blood pressure down and go into most interactions with citizens with some respect. I've said this many times about politicians. It seems like with politicians and their fans that winning an election deifies them. They become gods. The same thing here with cops. We gave you a badge and a gun. You're still just you, all right? You're not special. You're doing a very hard job. I'm grateful for the job you're doing, but you didn't get deified with the badge and the gun. You're just you, all right? I'm, I'm Corey. You, you send me through the academy. You slap a badge on me, give me a gun. I'm still just Corey. I just happen to have a badge and a gun. I'm not any better than the citizen. And so if you would adopt that posture, you're going to do a lot better. And for all of us, if we would adopt the posture of humility and respect and trust, we would do a lot better in our interactions as well. That's what I learned from my run-in with the police. When we return, I have what might be my favorite listener email ever. It is from Jake, 
and it shows, I think it shows in part the, the progress I want all of us to be making. Progress that Jake has made, that I have made in the past. I want all of us to be making this progress in how we interact with the world. I love this email. We'll get there when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. The Corey Truax of 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 7 years ago, when I started the show, had a much different relationship to government and politics than I do now. And I want to share that transformation with others because I think it's a healthy transformation. I will tell you a story of that sort in just a second. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's a cool idea. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'm not on the Ticker Talkers or the YouTube machine. Or uh, what's the other one? I don't remember what the other one's called. Oh, the Snapper Chatter. That one. I'm not on any of those because uh, I'm a little older. But you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my name, Corey Truax. You can also do what Jake did. Jake wrote to me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. I should also mention, since I'm doing some listener feedback, uh, a couple of you sent in your truth over tribe results. Uh Zach sent me his friend who I was totally unsurprised. He's the only one of the 10 or 11 who's truly, totally untribalized. That's what uh, his, he was the only one that came across that way. The rest of us are moderately conservative. Tribalized is what they called us. But anyway, I just wanted to share that quickly. Jake writes in and says this. There's a lot of brilliance here. Hey, Corey, I want to thank you for a thoughtful show. Hey, well, thanks for listening. It's given me some upcoming sermon, sermon and teaching ideas in the congregation I served. And it's challenged my thinking in very good ways. Hey, thanks. Listen to that quick word. Challenging your thinking in very good ways. I want to do that. I also want my thinking challenged. It's one of the reasons I listen not to only Christian and conservative things. I very specifically seek out other thinking because I want to be challenged. Because here's what I'm sure about. I'm sure I'm wrong on some stuff. And I don't want to be wrong for one second longer than I have to be. And the only way I'm going to find out what I'm wrong about is if I continue to learn. And so I I commend any of you that when you feel challenged by what I'm saying and you keep listening, that's a sign of maturity. And thank you, Jake, for saying so. Back to his email. I wanted to get your reaction to this post I came across from Senator Tim Scott. It was posted on January 27th by the senator's campaign. This sentence is money. My initial reaction when I saw the post, was much different than it would have been just a few years ago. In the recent past, I would have had a knee-jerk reaction, maybe stating that Biden's Supreme Court pick would destroy our republic, yada, yada, yada. Instead, like you always say, I took a step back, I dropped my personal temperature, and began to think critically about what was being presented. Now, what was being presented, what Senator Scott did, and what a lot of... what a lot of uh, uh, Republican and conservative people did is they saw the Supreme Court nominee opening as a method of fundraising. That's very normal. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's normal. The If you are signed up for fundraising emails from either party, you will find that they fundraise off of everything. Every little thing in the news, they send an email out and say, don't you see the sky is falling over this situation and those evil people over there? You need to give us some money right now. And so Tim Scott, I'm not... I'm not dogging Tim Scott for this. This is very normal behavior. I don't even doubt that these senators and Congress people, they don't even know what's happening on their pages because if you don't know this, you should watch, uh, it's called The Swamp. It was a special, I think, Facebook watch put out. Um, I, I think I found it on Amazon Prime Video. 
there there are quotas. If you want a uh, a committee chairmanship, if you want a a certain spot in Congress or in the Senate, in terms of committees, you have to raise this many hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you want to remain Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she has a quota. She must raise this much money, or she will start getting some pressure to be removed from the speakership. And so there's a whole fundraising arm that they're, they're motivated only to make money. And what's one of the best ways to make money? Scare the mess out of you. Get you terrified and say, but if you just give, I can protect you. So Senator Tim Scott says uh, on his advertisement, Biden now has the chance to nominate the most radical leftist judge in history. If he succeeds, everything is on the line. The right to life, our Second Amendment, the integrity of our elections, the security of our border. And then there's, there's more, but he says, we need 100 grassroots patriots to take action. For the next hour, every pledge will go to the defense CODIS fund. And so, Jake, let me say this. I know what you're talking about. Ten years ago, if I'd have saw that, I maybe 10, 10 or 15 years ago, I'd have freaked out. I'm like, he does. He does. He has... The, the president is going to ruin everything. Our rights and liberties are at jeopardy. And look, even Tim Scott is saying so. But, as Jake said, he took a step back and lowered the temperature. And then here's what Jake writes. Breyer is a liberal judge. So replacing him with a liberal does nothing to change the balance of power. Correct. Number two, Biden won the election. He has the authority to nominate one to fulfill the role. The duty of the Senate is to advise and consent. Yeah, that's right. Number three, I was disgusted by Senator Scott's solution that we fight this by having new pledges, which I suspect go into his campaign. Why doesn't the senator, senator take a more diplomatic route by getting on the phone with the president, explaining where he stands as, where, as, as what he would vote for in a nominee, maybe close by saying to the effect, if you insist on nominating a radical, I cannot in good conscience support a vote for that nominee. How refreshing would that be, Jake, and all of my listeners? How refreshing would it be if this event that's not going to change your lives, the balance of power of the Supreme Court is not affected for now. I mean, of course, it gives a, a longer range for, these, for a, a different majority to take place, but it's not fundamentally going to change your life. Wouldn't it be crazy cool if the reaction wasn't to rile people up, raise money, and just say, hey, uh, so you, it's a 50-50 Senate. You're going to need all 50 votes. Here's a list of 10 names I could I would give I would be able to vote for. Um, and I'm hearing these names uh, are coming up that you might want to nominate. I just so you know I can't vote for those. Now you don't you might not need my vote, but I just want you to know that's where things stand. Number four from Jake. I guess the point I'm making is that Biden's nomination for a judge, whoever it will be, has not merited the preemptive revulsion from Republicans Republicans that has already been projected. Yes. This is exactly the case. The, there is a media environment that is incent, it's incentivized to scare you, anger you, because then you'll watch them, you'll give them attention, you'll give them money. And I, I, I like Senator Scott a lot, but that's all he fell into. Fell into the trap of just needing to raise money. Uh, last little bit here from Jake's email. What is a civil way to approach this? Should the sentiment elections have consequences prevail? Your, uh, your thoughts and response will be very much appreciated, uh, or, or given how thoughtfully your show is presented and how you think in personal responses, it helped to bounce this idea. Okay, so, yeah, the civil way, 
is what you just said. I mean, I think the civil way is for all 50 senators to just say the president won an election. He gets to nominate who he wants. Now, I have standards on who I'd vote for, and when that person comes up for a vote, if it doesn't meet the standard, then vote that vote no. Like, I wouldn't go as far as like Lindsey Graham is going. Lindsey Graham has historically been the guy who will vote for a Democratic president's nominee because his philosophy is they won, they won the election, and as long as the person is the the typical qualifications, went to an Ivy League school, has served as a judge, I'll vote for them. And so he voted for Sonia Sotomayor, the Obama nominee. He voted for Elena Kagan, the Obama nominee. And he went on shows recently basically saying his stance hasn't changed. My stance, in this, I think the civil way, is to say, yes, elections have consequences. You get, to, you get to nominate who you want. But my election has consequences, too. I was elected as a senator. And I know what the people of South Carolina or whatever state the senator is talking about, what they prefer. And I would be happy to vote for the set of judges and vote no on the others. The biggest takeaway from Jake's email is that development, recognizing here's someone we like. We like Senator Scott. I like him a lot. We trust him. Our instincts is that he's going to tell you the truth. And the emotions get riled up. It feels like a threat is coming. But then the ability to stop and go, well, I think the world is whispering to me. I think worldliness is whispering to me. Now, I'm going to calm myself. Maybe, I, I think the, the Holy Spirit plays a role here. I think going straight to some scripture and that the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be angry. Everything's fine. And if we can carry that through our interaction with government and politics through election season and all that, We'll all be happier, but also the country will be better if we could stop letting our enemy. That, I'm, not, I'm not calling Tim Scott an enemy. I think he's a brother. I think he's a believer. But the enemy that is the idolatry of government, if we will not let that idolatry whisper, idolatry whisper to us, we can be a happier, better, more biblical people. Jake, thanks for the email. It's fantastic. And if you want to join Jake by emailing the show, you can do that at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and message me there. May we all learn from that and uh, control our intake when we see those things on the internet. Now, just a couple quick thoughts on two related items I have seen this week in the news that I think we can learn from. You may have heard all the controversy regarding Spotify and Joe Rogan. Here are the quick facts of the case. Joe Rogan is the biggest name in podcasting. He's the godfather of podcasting. I think he averages 11 million listeners per show. I have never listened to an episode, but when I have seen some of the interviews, he'll interview an interesting person that I want to hear from, and I'll listen to the interview. He's good at it. He's quite good. I think I've mentioned before, I think he resonates so much with young men and has this large audience because we largely have a cohort of young men, let's go men 30 and under, without fathers. And Rogan plays something of a father role for those guys digitally through his podcast. I don't think he means to do it, but that's how it comes across. It's at least my social theory. So Joe Rogan, biggest name there is. And because Spotify is smart as a company, they recognize this is a gigantic brand out there. Let's go ahead and put him on our platform exclusively so that he can be a property of Spotify. So Spotify purchases Joe Rogan's rights. They 
put that on their on their platform, and they're making a ton of money off of Joe Rogan and all of his all of his giant audience. Because Joe Rogan did some interviews with people who are well qualified, they have different opinions than the bureaucrats and government officials on some COVID policy. He did some interviews with those people. There are uh, voices that would call that COVID misinformation. I think that's garbage, but they call it COVID misinformation. So uh, artists from the past that no one cares about, uh, guys like Neil Young, I think his name was, says, you can have my music or you can have Joe Rogan, but you can't have both. And so they start removing... That's not a hard... That isn't a hard... uh, question for Spotify, you keep your 11 million person audience and all the millions of dollars that he rakes in. And so you have that conflict. And I want to stop there to tell you a different story. So hold on to those facts. There's a bunch of people that wanted Joe Rogan off of Spotify. That was the the opinion of a great deal of folks on the progressive authoritarian totalitarian left. Now, another story. You may have heard that there's a school district in Tennessee that decided to remove a book from their library. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelt M-A-U-S, the complete mouse. I'm just going to go with mouse. It's a story of, a, it's, a, it's a graphic novel of a, a boy and his dad, basically, but they're illustrated as mice. And the there's cats in the book. They represent Nazis. There's mice in the book. They represent Jews. And it's this guy who wrote it. His dad escaped from Nazi Germany. And this school district in Tennessee wanted to ban, or not wanted, they did ban the book from their library because it had eight profanities, profanity words in it, and the an image of a nude woman, like a graphic, not a live nude woman, but a cartoon nude woman. They wanted the book removed. Now, they did, they did and here's the, the two things I want to connect. It tended to be folks on the, I guess let's put that in the Puritan category, the Puritan right, they wanted this book removed. The totalitarian left wanted Joe Rogan removed. The Puritan right wanted this book removed. Do you know what happened to both? Explosion in popularity. Joe Rogan's episodes started peaking to 14 and 15 million. His YouTube views are much higher. His Spotify streams are much higher. We can't print enough the complete mouse books to fill the Amazon shelves and get them out to people. It's a lesson to learn when we come across content that we find objectionable. There is a healthy, listen to what I said, healthy instinct in humans, or some humans, that when powerful people say, don't listen to this, don't watch this, our instinct is, I better watch that. I, I better read it. I better listen to it because I have a lot of skepticism towards the powerful person who would say to me, another grown adult with all of my mental faculties uh, uh, in work, working, that I, I can sift through a podcast, a video, a book. I can figure that all out to say, you shouldn't read it. Don't do it. You're just going to make me read it even harder. You're going to make me want to, uh, I'm thinking of a Michael Scott quote now from The Office. You're going to make me want to watch it even harder, okay? So maybe our instinct for this other group of adults, should be this. Here's a good ethic. Stop trying to ban stuff. Like, there is a, there is legitimate concern in not exposing young people. 
I would say especially to pornography. There's other ways to protect kids from that book, the, the pornographic parts of that book, than banning it. Heck, you can remove that one page if you want. You can put an advisory that this book is only checked out with a parent or something. You don't have to ban the book. On the Spotify piece, the it, what, what it partly feels like is there is a, a group of folks with some opinions on COVID whose positions are so flimsy, they are so easily debunked, their arguments are so weak, that instead of responding to the people who disagree with them, they just want them shut up. I don't remember... Actually, I've got my computer up right now. I am going to Google something right now. Uh, it's from... Oh, it's actually a book called Shut Up, He Explained. So the, it's the memoir of a blacklisted kid. So there's a famous line in, in literature that goes like that. Shut up, he explained. And that tends to be what some of the folks on totalitarian left act like. Instead of responding to arguments, it's shut up. And if you don't shut up, I'm going to get you shut up. I'm going to use the power of the government. I'm going to use whatever mechanisms I have to get you to shut up because I, I don't want anyone listening to you. Both things are bad instincts. So that's my, my word, left and right. T- tyrannical, totalitarian, authoritarian left and puritanical right. Stop banning stuff. It doesn't work. It's not good for humanity. At least not these types of things. We're going to take an early break. When we come back, I'm either going to talk talk you through something Bill Maher said recently, because he's been on fire. I have a, a story out of Finland that will blow your mind. And I, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I want to reserve some time for one of my hobby horses. Tom Brady is retiring, the quarterback from the Patriots and the Buccaneers. And I just want to talk about it. Talk about his legacy and how I think he he gets a lot more plaudits than he deserves. He's one of the greats, but he gets treated as the best ever played. And I just, I'm just i just going to talk about it a little bit. We won't, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but it's one of my hobby horses. We'll get started on all of that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Right before the end of the year, maybe right before Christmas, I was invited on the morning show here on WHRT, his radio talk with Tony and Austin, to just talk about the year in review. And one of the categories was, who made the comeback of the year? And my comeback of the year was normal liberals. Because the previous five years with the former president drove everyone who's slightly left of center, drove them all crazy, psychotic. They were psychotic people. And after he was gone... Like, just the normal people who just disagree with me on tax rates and the role of government and welfare. Like, those people started to make a, make a bit of a comeback. And I want to share with you an example of that here right now. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts and on his radio talk here on Saturday mornings and Saturday evenings. Glad to have you. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. Bill Maher, I've actually been a fan of. He's, he comes from the comedy world originally. He's definitely left of center. I agree with him on very little but I think he's a fair-minded person. He's also a bit vulgar and crass from time to time. Not a favorite, not a fan of those things. But he speaks truth to his own side, like I try to, and I admire that. So I want to set it up this way and then play for you some audio. The, the feeling for folks associated with my world, uh, politically, historically, it feels like, those different than us, those on the left, they have gone insane. It does feel that way. That 
the liberal of 2021 is not the one we knew in 2001. It's a, a whole different group of people. And largely it is. Remember that Bill Clinton gave a speech that said, the era of big government is over. And now it's the party of socialized medicine, federal elections, federal schooling. It's federal government handles literally everything. We're, let's just send out money like crazy. It's like you, you, can tell, you can tell it's changed, right? I mean, Barack Obama ran for president in 2008 saying marriage is the union between one man and one woman. In 2008, he changed his mind in 2012. That's only been a mainstream position for 10 years. So when you have... I mean, for that matter, go back to the 90s and early 2000s. Bill Clinton was running and Al Gore was running in 2000 on their abortion stance being it should be safe, legal, and rare. And now the position on the left is up until the point, the point that there's any part of the child still in the womb, we can definitely kill that kid. You can see it has gotten a lot more radical. And Bill Maher, earlier in this monologue I'm going to play for you, says... I can assure you I haven't changed because he's getting a lot of flack from the left. And he is saying to them, I haven't changed. I'm the same guy I was in 2000, 2010. You guys have all gone crazy. And I just want to play for you some affirmation that this thing you think, man, it's gotten crazy out there on the left. Yeah, it has. And even someone on the left has seen it. Here is Bill Maher from his show on HBO. I think it's called Real Time with Bill Maher. When... Normal people read that San Francisco has basically legalized shoplifting. They think Democrats have gone nuts. They think, you know, that Ted Cruz Cruz guy seems like a real stiff. But at least he believes in the concept of shopping with money. (laughs) It's not... It's not my fault that the party of FDR and JFK is turning into the party of LOL and WTF. (laughs) Members of Congress tweeting things like cancel rent, cancel mortgage, and no more policing or incarceration, declaring that capitalism is slavery canceling Lincoln and Dr. Seuss, teaching children their oppressors and math is racist, making Mr. Potato Head gender neutral, and now an emoji for pregnant men. Real, I'm not making it up. California just passed a law requiring large retailers to have a non-gendered toy section. A non-gendered toy section? Isn't Ken enough? (laughs) I'll stop him there. He he goes on, but affirmation. Yeah, it's gotten crazy. Just that list he runs through. And I'm not telling you there's any political solution. There's not. The gospel's the only solution. But it is affirming to hear somebody out on that side say, yeah, it's, it's gotten crazy out there. They, they are, they are the, the far left, and their criticism of people like him and then even senators like Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, they, they have a comeuppance coming to them. They're going to find out how crazy they are here in about a, a little bit less than a year now. Let's do this one. I think of Finland, uh, Norway, the Scandinavian countries, necessarily peaceful places. You know, they're, they're capitalist economies with socialist welfare systems, so they produce a lot of wealth, they keep immigrants out, they have a closed system, and they, 
you know, pay gigantic taxes to be taken care of throughout their lives. They're just a generally peaceful, stay out of things people. And then I see the story of true Christian persecution. And I will admit it made me super angry to the extent, I mean this, I think the United States, in response to what I'm about to tell you, should remove our embassy, should remove our ambassadors, we should kick Finland out of our country, any any embassy they have here, you're gone. Fix this, or you do not have a relationship with the United States of America, and if Russia gets super aggressive and decides to invade you guys, you're on your own. You gotta fix this. Here's, I will give you the Cliffsnose version of the story. On January 24th this year, they started a religious freedom type of case. A member of parliament, a woman named Pavi Rus, uh, let's go with Rasanin, Pavi Rasanin, was charged with something called ethnic agitation, which is part of their hate speech provision. So those of you who would ever be in favor of hate speech uh, laws, let this be a warning to you. She tweeted in 2019 the about her churches. She was part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland. She tweet, tweeted negatively about that church participating in a gay, gay pride parade, as she should. She should criticize that. And then she just had a the the Bible app. She printed uh, or screenshot Romans 1, 20, 24 through 27, which is in part about homosexuality as a sin, and tweeted that out. Now, granted, I want to also say I am so grateful that I don't live in a country where tweeting out the Bible could put me on trial. But she did do that in 2019, and it's being called a hate crime. She's being defended by Alliance Defending Freedom International. So it's an American group, but they practice internationally. They, in this investigation by, fin- by the Finland government into her, they also go back to 2004, where she wrote a pamphlet for her church called Male and Female, He Created Them. Homosexual relations challenge the Christian concept of humanity. This is par for the course, very boilerplate Christian doctrine. Sexuality is to be enjoyed in marriage between one man and one woman. Very literally, this has been the doctrine of the Judeo-Christian ethic for 6,000 years. We only decided in context what's basically 20 minutes ago that the 6,000 years of history of the sexual ethic of the Judeo-Christian system is wrong. And so she didn't adopt the, the new sexual ethic that we just decided on, and she's on trial for it. And she's on trial for... For being, uh, for being a Christian and thinking Christian things back when thinking Christian things was very normal. It makes me think of that, uh, you remember that story in California, the guy who was CEO of Firefox, the web browser, who got canceled and fired because he gave money to the, uh, I think it was a, Amendment 8 or Proposition 8 in California where they define marriage as one man and one woman. He got fired for supporting a bill that passed. I, I think of, uh, the, uh, what's her name? Oh yeah, the one in Colorado where the guy who, the, uh, Jack Phillips, wouldn't make the cake for the gay wedding. He wouldn't make the cake for a gay wedding at a time when homosexual marriage wasn't even legal. They wanted a cake for a marriage that wasn't legal. And, now, and she is being, cha- she's being uh, in part on tr- being put on trial for supporting something that has 6,000 years of, of history, but also was le- wasn't even legal in Finland at the time. 
the case has started, and thus far, it really has not been an, arg- an argument about her. They're arguing over whether or not the Bible itself is hate speech because of what it says. Now, the case has gotten international scrutiny, and I'm grateful for that. Senator Marco Rubio, and then f- uh, I can't remember the other four Republican senators, but led by Rubio, they are dealing with the ambassador at large for, uh, for Finland. I think this, they wrote a letter to the Finland government that says, we are greatly concerned that the use of Finnish law is tantamount to secular blasphemy law. That is such a good point. In totalitarian countries, mostly Muslim countries, there are blasphemy laws. If you blaspheme the prophet Muhammad, we will kill you. In Puritan times, here in the United States and localities, there were blasphemy laws. If you commit blasphemy, you might be executed. What's happening to her? She's committed blasphemy against the secular creed. We have creeds in the church. Beachwood, my church, has amalgamated ancient creeds into one so that you might go to church and, and read the Apostles' Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We have now a secular creed. We believe all love is love. And if you speak against the secular creed, the high priests and priestesses of the secular religion seek to destroy you in Finland. It may happen here. I pray it won't happen here. I can promise you this. If it does happen here, that's where you obey God rather than man. I've already thought about the scenario where if, if it did happen here, I, I'm, I'm not complying. Beach, Beachwood Church will find someone else to lead music and preach 12 sermons a year. D- do what you want to to me. I'm not going to stop saying true things, and I will pay whatever consequence you must, you must give me. But that's the way the senators phrase it is so brilliant. You're basic, you set up blasphemy laws. You're, you're just blaspheming against the secular creed, and Christianity is blasphemy against the secular creed. Christianity is blasphemy against a world that says, you do you. Because our, our creed says, yeah, if you do that, that's a disaster. You're a disaster. And we don't mind saying so. I don't mind saying that I'm a disaster. We, this idea of being truest to the self that we're living in, Christians will speak blasphemy against that, and in Finland, she's being punished, punished for it. Continuing with the letter from those senators, uh, this trial could open the door for prosecution of other devout Christians, Muslims, Jews, and adherents of, of other faiths for publicly stating their religious beliefs that may conflict, conflict with a uh, conflict with secular trends. They're totally right, and I tell you this: if they don't fix this, I mean it. We need we need to sanction them. The this should be become an issue in our government. One of our issues we vote on is whether or not our government is willing to sanction, punish economically, totalitarian regimes. We are willing to punish Russia and North Korea. We're willing to punish Iran with economic sanctions for what they do. If it becomes very normal in Finland to persecute Christians for saying very normal Christian things, you should never be, they shouldn't be able to buy from America. We should never buy a thing from them. We should shut down whatever international banking systems that we have control over that they use. We should wreck their country over this. This is wrong, deeply immoral and wrong. It's an offense to the kingdom of God itself. And whether in this time or in the ultimate time when Jesus comes, when Jesus returns, this government of Finland will be crushed for what they've done. And I feel pretty good about that. When we sing it in church, when we sing that Jesus is king, when we sing 
anything about the, uh, we just sang the love of God, uh, the old hymn. There's a, there's a line in there that says, when earthly thrones and kingdoms fall. I don't mind thinking about the kingdom of Finland falling under the weight of a glorious king who will crush them for what they have done to one of his children. That's a daughter of God who spoke the truth of the king, and they're trying to punish her for it. There's a day of judgment coming for the Finland government. This, this is one of the, the roles the Christian has in the world as we speak a word of prophecy. And that prophecy over Finland is you're going to be judged for what you've done. I've saved us only five minutes, but I'm going to try to do this Tom Brady thing. I, I, really, I, I wanted eight minutes, but we'll go. Tom Brady is retiring from football, it appears. He is unquestionably the most accomplished quarterback to ever play the game. In the history of sports in the United States, it's hard to argue anyone has accomplished more in a career than Tom Brady has. I will never take that away from him. I will say, though, I think he gets treated oddly by media and football fandom at large. I will say this, a football fandom. I notice a lot of them are very, very skeptical of news media, but here they are standing with sports media and just adopting their worldview, adopting the view of Tom Brady that absolutely the best that ever played the game. And so I, I, come to, I tend to come to all media narratives with skepticism, and including this one. And I, all I'm saying about Tom Brady, that it bothers me about him, is I think he gets more credit than he deserves. He deserves a lot of credit. I think he's one of the top five best to ever play. I don't think there's ever been a guy better, for example, at pocket presence and uh, there's, there's a legend, I don't know if it's true, that there was a time when Pete Maravich, the basketball player from the 70s, I think probably the best passer of all time uh, in basketball, that you could blindfold him in the middle of a game, just like blow the whistle, quickly go over and... Uh, blindfold him and he could tell you where the other nine guys on the on the court were I think Tom Brady could do that I think you could stop in the middle of a play everyone freeze he could tell you where all 21 of the other players are he had that kind of presence I could say a lot of other things and superlatives about him he's an incredible player I just think this needs to be noted we're comfortable with noting of other quarterbacks that they had great teams they had great coaches I don't have a problem saying of the three quarterbacks of my youth, Troy Aikman of the Cowboys, Brett Favre of the Packers, and Steve Young of the 49ers, Troy Aikman was the least talented of that group. But he won the most game and won the most Super Bowls because he had the greatest offensive line ever assembled. He had Deion Sanders uh, that was intercepting passes on the other side. One of the great, uh, Charles Ware, the the defensive end, one of the great defensive ends ever. Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin. He was on an incredible team, and we're all willing to say that of Troy Aikman. We're all willing to say of other players that Steve Young had Jerry Rice. And yes, Steve Young was great, but there was other good things around him. No one's willing to say that of Tom Brady. It's just, he did it. Every time he hands the ball off and there's a good run, it's because the handoff was brilliant. And it's a weird, it's a weird treatment that he gets. So I, I would just argue, for example, at his time in the Patriots, you can find this at profootballreference.com, profootballreference.com. His defense is averaged being like 1.2. They almost were always the number one defense when Tom Brady was a Patriot, especially in his early years. He had easily the best coach. He only had three different offensive coordinators to work with. So he has a, a system a system that he never had to, to switch. He played with an all-star team in Tampa. They, they collected an, an absolute Avengers of football down in Tampa to, to win a Super Bowl. If you truly do a one-to-one measurement of other quarterbacks of his era when they left their teams, 
you'll find that he was the least valuable to his team. For example, when he got hurt early in 2009, Matt Castle came in and played 16 games for the Patriots. They won 11 games. The previous year with Brady and basically the same roster, they won 13 games. You take that to a guy like Peyton Manning, who when he hurt his neck, they, uh, they come in that year and win two games. The previous year, with about the same roster, they won 14 games. If you do that, by the way, with Roethlisberger, Montana, Favre, you look when they're out and how their team does, those teams tend to do a lot worse than Brady's teams. Why? Because Brady's teams were awesome. Now, he is awesome. But it seems so weird to me that we can't say that everyone else around him is also awesome. They had a great system there. Final thing here is the Super Bowl argument. I think it's one of the worst ones. Like you can't argue with that many, you can't argue with that many Super Bowls. Yeah, you can because it's not a transitive argument. A guy named Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer. These guys have won Super Bowls. Uh, there are Dan Marino didn't. Is are Trent Dilfer and Brad Johnson? You can't argue against them. Heck, I mean, Peyton Manning's second Super Bowl shouldn't even go to his credit. He was like the, one of the worst players on his team. In that, let's, so let's say that Peyton earned one Super Bowl. Eli earned two. Is Eli better than Peyton? We don't actually think that. Super Bowls cannot be the Trump argument. And so all I'm trying to say is Tom Brady leaves the league. He was incredibly fun to watch. He was one of the best that ever did it. And there were other guys on their teams who were more important to their success than Brady was to the Patriots and Buck's success. He was central to their success. Don't hear me saying he wasn't. But he gets a weirdly large amount of credit that no other quarterback gets for how good those teams were. And that just feels unjust and wrong to me. All right. I did it. I, guys, I have so many more notes on this. I, I really could do a whole hour on this topic, but I know you don't want me to do that. I'll be back with another new edition of the Court Track Show next week. We won't talk any football at all, I promise. Uh, share the show with others if you would be so kind. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also email the show at coreytruexshow at gmail.com. I'll be back with another new, ed- another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.